Welcome to Canoe Creek Christian Church's podcast. Our mission is to help others connect with Christ, grow together, and go share Jesus with their world. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Drive. Our services are Sunday morning at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. You can also find our services online through Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening today. So, hey, would you pray this with me? We can do it with our eyes open. It's all right. Let's just pray. Lord, would you please give us wisdom and vision to see your word today, to know you, to trust you, to follow you, to serve you as you've called us uh, to know and trust and follow you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, listen, we've been in this series in Hebrews, really excited about it, uh, but we are rounding the corner. We've got two weeks left in it. Uh, I would encourage you, if you've missed any parts of it, go back into the app or uh, on your phone. It's so easy nowadays, right, just from your phone, mowing your yard, driving to work to listen to stuff. Um, or on our website, you can go there as well. Pick up messages that maybe you've missed, maybe ones that you just want to hear again. I know there's been a couple I've listened to from some of our other speakers. Several weeks back, Rob Flanor had an amazing message that really tied the, the three weeks that we spent on faith together as well. And really, he was driven home in that second song that we sang today. That is the faithfulness of God, even when we're not faithful in certain ways. And uh, what a great message and, and how important that was. And I think that really leads us into what we're looking at today. And that is, as Christians, sometimes, I think most of the time, if we're willing to be objective, we come into a relationship with Christ or maybe start deciding to trust or follow God uh, based on me-centered thinking. It's based on what I want, what I need, you know. Maybe I went to the church for the first time ever because I needed something fixed in my life. Typically, our, our decision to start knowing God or following God is at a very base level. It's a very immature level, which is okay and understandable. And all of a sudden, right, uh, the bottom falls out from us at a certain point. Our, our faith deepens in a way that we never imagined. And we recognize that what's required of us as a believer is maybe more than I anticipated. Maybe even more than I saw on the sticker price, right? Whenever I started following Christ to begin with. And sometimes that can bring with it a difficulty, a shock value, you know, a, a struggle. And we see that in this letter, these individuals who started following Christ, they're returning back to their old way, so to speak. And, and as a result of that, this person writing this letter saying, hey, listen, who are you going to return to? What are you going to go to? Jesus has eternal words of life. He's the only one who's superior over all creation. Remain faithful to him. So it's a really good letter, especially for the year 2020, when things around us that we cannot choose, things around us that we have not chosen are changing and our circumstances as a result of that are changing and and and, and, and as a result you know about the only thing that we can do is, is choose to remain faithful and stay focused maybe think of uh, this this story that I heard 1990 Georgina Josephine she wanted to get more healthy. She was 42 years old. And, and she's like, hey, listen, I got to start doing something to remain more healthy. So she decided to start jogging. But uh, jogging is like an agonizing, torturous thing that we do to ourselves. I don't understand that. And so and she said, well, if I have like a focus point, so she was going to run in a race, right? She wanted to run in, in a 10K, six miles. And so she's like, if I can plan to run in a race, it'd give me motivation every day to go out and jog so I could prepare for this. And so she does it, and uh, the day comes for her to enter the race. She's nervous and excited, and so she lines up with everybody and takes off running. 
Well, she's about four miles into this, and she's thinking, we should have kind of curved around or turned back by now because the, the ending was where the beginning was. And she's thinking, four miles, you only got two miles to go, but we haven't, like, curved around yet. What's going on? So she asked somebody, hey, aren't we getting close to the end? Isn't this almost over yet? And, and this person gives her a really strange look and just keeps on running. At that point, she realized something's wrong. You know, something's off. And she realized that she wasn't running a 10K. She was running in the Cleveland Marathon. <laughs> A 26-mile race. At this point, she'd only run eight miles at one given time, and she thought, oh, my goodness. She'd gotten so excited that she started with the wrong group. She was supposed to wait another 15 minutes and start with a second group that would have finished in six miles. And so she just said, I just kept running looking for somebody to help me, you know, just looking for help, kept, help and kept running. Before she had known it, she had finished 26 miles, even though she had never run more than eight miles at any given time together. When asked about the experience, she just simply responded this way. This is not the race I trained for. This is not the race I entered. But for better or worse, this is the race that I am in. What a great statement. And so she just kept on running, you know, looking for help. And before she knew it, the help came. It was at the 26-mile mark when she crossed the finish line and was able to finish and to finish well. I think sometimes we encounter unexpected challenges that we never expected to be a part of our race. It could be that, you know, I gave my life to Christ, started following, and all of a sudden the bottom fell out, and I realized that this whole faith thing is a lot more to it than I thought. But yet it's the race that we're called to run. Or it could be just something general in our life that we never envisioned our future in this way. And, and as a result, we're sitting there asking the question, what do I do? Well, I think Georgina really gave us a great clue there when she says, for, for better or for worse, this is the race that I'm going to run because it's the race that we've been placed in. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 uh, in your own Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, look on the racks in front of you. You'll find a paperback Bible there. Somewhere around page 570, 580, you should find the book of Hebrews. Large numbers of the chapters. We're in chapter 12, small number of verses. And I love this chapter, just like Romans 12. It's this big th turning point, you know. You've had all this theological exposition before this about Jesus, his superior name nature, about faith, and then all of a sudden you have this important turning point. All right, based on all that, the, the author's saying, based on these facts, based on these realities, these things happen. They're not fairy tales. They're not unicorns and rainbows. It's reality. God exists. Jesus Christ lived on this earth, so on and so forth. Therefore, this is how you're called to live. So Romans or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, this is what we read. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured this cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
This is such a great turning point in this letter and such a great uh, just statement that we don't want to miss. So, for example, I think in the very me-centered culture we have within our, our nation and our Western culture here that, you know, if given the opportunity, we would, you know, paint by numbers or, or have all the options and we would decide what our life's going to look like out down to every last detail. And it'd be filled with happiness and comfort and everything would go exactly as we planned. And yet we have this radical contrast where they're not ex- experiencing everything that they had imagined. They're not having the race that they thought that they would run. This author says, remember Jesus. I don't know when it happened. I can't comprehend all this, but he's the creator of all the universe. And at some point from being an infant who was completely vulnerable to the world, he comes to full realization. And I would like to know what it was from that moment in Jesus's life as a human where he recognized I'm God. And I was at part in creating the entire universe. The cosmos praised me. And yet he knew Before he ever signed up, before he ever left heaven, before he ever stepped foot on earth in this infant state to grow up and to die a horrible crucifixion, he knew every last detail that would take place, and he said, sign me up. And then enter all of us. We get frustrated when when the song that we want sung on Sunday morning doesn't get sung. I mean, whatever it is. And, And yet, this is the comparison that gets thrown down before those who are really struggling in their faith. I love it powerful. You, you can't beat the imagery that's given to us here. So the word from ra- for race here comes from a Greek word that really implies a gathering of people to watch some sort of athletic event. It could be race. It could be a wrestling match. But the idea is that it's an event with, with struggle, with perseverance, with intensity. And the author is being very clear in what, he, what you know, is being written here and said to us, it's a parallel, it's a metaphor for life in a sense that life is a struggle. There's intensity in life. There's issues within life. There's a race that's to be run, and it's not always easy to run it. We actually get from this Greek word our word for agony, which makes perfect sense to me because running is agony, all right? You're not going to find me running unless there's someone or something chasing me. I will paddle 26 miles long before I ever run 26 miles because it's agony. And that's the emphasis that's being given here that in life, sometimes we find ourselves in a race where there is agony and struggle. And we wrestle with that. For example, it could be a physical way, illness, physical, mental disabilities, death, you know, you name it. There's struggles there worldly struggles. Man, 2020 has really presented that, especially when it comes to hate, especially when it comes to just division, financial insecurities and struggles, or different things like scandals, injustice, brokenness, and more. Relational struggles, right? Divorce, unfaithfulness, um, just a, a sense of resentfulness, spitefulness, so on and so forth. You know, whether it's, it's physical, whether it's worldly, whether it's relational, there are so many, the struggles are just manifold. And in a room with this many people in it, I would imagine the list would fill the walls if we were to, to add it all up and to look at each and every one of them individually. This, this metaphor for, for this idea of race here that's given to us, it, it, it teaches us a few lessons. You know, first of all, suffering is necessary and meaningful. 
I think sometimes when we're suffering, we just think that there's some, you know, some sort of evil creature walking around with a cup of evil and just pouring it out on us for fun just to see us tortured. And yet there's so much significant meaning in suffering to help us exercise and expand who we are without it. To be honest with you, I think that we just try to live some sort of dreamy life to where we just experience shallowness, a lack of maturity, so on and so forth. How is it, as Christians especially, that we expect to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior without some sort of suffering in our lives when he has a title of suffering servant? We just need to know that stuff. We need to be reminded of that stuff. Just like we're exercising, whether it's with weights, whether it's with running, whether it's with whatever we do, we apply our body to some sort of outside force of resistance and it grows strength in the same way. Suffering brings a deepening to our lives that help us understand, appreciate, and and know God more deeply and follow him to a point to where we can begin to really identify with the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. I think the second lesson it gives us simply is this. Weakness is able to make us strong. There's irony in this, right? With every pound of my foot to the pavement and jogging or running, or with every stroke of my arms and paddling, with every rep of, of lifting weights, my muscles grow a little bit more weary, a little bit more, you know, less, less strong to a point where I'm exhausted or worn out. All, all the air in my body is out. I need to let, you know, my, myself be recharged up. But what's the irony in that is as I'm recharging too, I'm, I'm growing stronger. I'll do more reps next time. I'll run a little bit farther. I'll be able to paddle a little bit more. I have more air in my lungs to give it that one more time two more times, so on and so forth. But even beyond that, as we're growing weaker, we recognize our limitations. We recognize where we are unable. And no matter how hard we push ourselves, all of us have a limit. And even if we're able to rise and and, and grow that limit over time, sooner or later, time catches up with us and that limit begins to drop. And we recognize that there are things that only God can do for me. There are things that I'm far too weak to comprehend, understand, and endure, and I need the strength that goes beyond uh, the creation of the cosmos in order to be strong. Let, Let me say this along with these two, I think, lessons we learn out of this metaphor as well. I think that half the pain that we experience in, in suffering and struggle is the, uh, just the shock factor in it. What if I told you, hey, listen, I can reduce your pain that comes along with suffering and struggle by half, right? By half. I mean, hey, sign me up for that because we're all going to experience it. Sign me up. Just simply say, hey, prepare yourself. God said it would be this way. But here's the good news is the gospel, right? Eternity is waiting. Everything that really is to come is to come. But we, I think, have conditioned ourselves under the the guise of an American gospel, under Western Christianity, because I think in many ways, the majority of us in this room have experienced just the goodness of life, prosperity, great opportunities, so on and so forth. And as a result of that, we become very expectant. And when those expectations are not met, listen, it's not much different than a two-year-old on the floor at Walmart. I mean, come on. We just do it in, in a more mature way as older people because 
we expect things to go the way that we want them to go. You know, the American way of life is for us to eliminate struggle and to experience happiness and comfort in everything that we do. And because we think that that's our mindset about how life should go and always where we're focused on how we live, when it doesn't go that way, uh, we're unexpected. And, and unfortunately for some, when it just seems to go that way and they live a dreamed life for so many years and never get an opportunity to really wake up, if they do wake up, they find that they're very shallow and lacking any kind of depth and personal relationship with the presence of God abiding in their life and in their decisions, in their family, and and so on and so forth. Uh, Listen, here's the crazy part about this as well. Happiness and comfort are most often defined by our culture. I mean, give give you a simple example, right? I'm not happy because the person down the road has a house that's not like mine, and I want a house like theirs. But I can't really afford it, so I'll kill myself to try and afford it and over-leverage myself in financial payments I can't manage to have it because that's what happiness is. A simple, more simple example. You know, happiness in our culture means that we have to have air conditioning, right? I always love people's faces when they come in here on a Sunday morning and the AC's broken. I already know what's happening. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. It didn't happen a lot in the past, man. Raise your hand if you can testify. You've been here to Canoe Creek when the AC was down. Come on now. I know you're out there and you're like, oh Lord, maybe I should just go worship God at home today. Um, I love AC, but I find it interesting that I have many friends in many parts of the world who do not have AC hardly ever, and yet they are tremendously filled with joy and have a passion desire to, to worship the mission and vision of God every day in their life. So happiness quite often is just a cultural construct that we make based on what we experience in our lives. And I think what the author is trying to tell us here is that this issue of struggle, it can destroy us. And we think, man, that sounds intense, and I don't want to be destroyed. But sometimes I think we need to be crushed into little pieces so that we can be put back together again in such a way that's radically different. And that life may be a pressing down into God more and ever crushing of being torn into pieces here and there again, being put back together. And every time we're put back together, we look a little bit more like the image of God that he created us in over and over again. God's word is trying to tell us here that this could be the very best thing that could happen for us. It might be a very good thing for our personal expectations to go unmet. It might be a very good thing for our lives to be thinned out by struggle so that in our weakness, we become strong. In our losses, we become content. In our endurance and perseverance, we become more resolved. Resolve that heaven alone satisfies Resolve that Jesus alone satisfies. And sometimes, like many of us in this room, you know, we got to go through relationships, we got to go through finances, we got to go through kids, we got to go through this, we got to go through that to realize that there is nothing in this world that satisfies as best as Jesus does. Yes, through so many of these things, we can experience great joy and we can glorify God in an amazing way. But at the end of the day, the only thing that satisfies is the presence of Jesus in my life. And the question is, how do I remain strong? How do I remain faithful and steadfast when I'm running a race that I didn't sign up for? And there's just a couple of things that I want to identify. Uh, number one is look to the historical examples. 
Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Look to the historical examples. This is what I loved about chapter 11. We had three messages from those chapters once again. Go listen to the message from two weeks ago. Really powerful message. All these different individuals. Uh, who struggled in their faith, give us example of what not to do, what to do, but even in the midst of their failures in faith, we see the grace of God in a profound way, and we see that they finished well, so much so that they're identified in this chapter of people of faith. And it gives us this encouragement, I can I can do this. I remember a story, uh, something I experienced. We were in Costa Rica quite a few years back on a mission trip, and we had a Sunday where we went to worship with our team and at Puerto Vida Church, and then afterwards we just going to have a surf day and go sit at the beach and, and relax and have fun. And we were at Hermosa, and Hermosa is one of the, the worst paddle outs in the world that I've ever experienced. And it's just a short paddle out, but it's the most grueling paddle out ever. Uh, some of us, we'd already been surfing for a while. We came back in, we're resting, and uh, we see this guy trying to paddle out, and he starts out like anybody starts out a race, right? I mean, he is, he is stroking. He's getting it. I'm going to get out there. 25 minutes later, the dude's still in the same spot, getting pounded by wave after wave. We're all sitting on the shore just cheering the guy on. Come on, man. You can do it. And he can hear us because he's not from here, but to those, that wall back there. But it's the shortest but the most grueling paddle out ever in the world. And, you know, after 25, now 30 minutes, going on 35 minutes, he's not as, he's not as energetic as he was, but he's still just one arm after the other. I can make it. I can make it. Why? He sees people out there. He knows people have made it. He knows he can make it. And man, when we finally saw him make that, I was like, oh, I could see it. I could see a break in the set. So I'm like, he's going to make it. And he started getting out there, and he made it just past the next set. And he was out there, and we're, we all stood up and cheered. We're like, you, we're excited for him. That's the vision that we're given here. We can be reminded of how we can make it because of those who've gone before us and that historical example that we see. And here's the thing. You are worthy of fi finishing well because Jesus made sure of it. Don't miss that. Of all things, you are worthy of finishing well. Jesus made sure of that. In spite of your struggles with being faithful, even though maybe you barely made it here this morning and thought, I don't need to be in church. Maybe you thought, like I've heard for many, many years, no, that place won't accept me. The, the roof's going to fall in, whatever. You are worthy of finishing well. Jesus made sure of it. And how you finish is so much more important than how you start. Look at the second thing that we see here. Look for godly habits. Uh, it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Look for godly habits in your life. This idea for sin, this word is the idea of offense. It's saying, find anything in your life that is offensive to God and get rid of it. Be radical about it. Throw it off. Put it away from you. You know, there's some powerful illustrations of this. I remember years ago, uh, somebody um, challenged me and some other people to take some of our CDs. It was almost, it was almost tapes. CDs were like the newest thing and really expensive, but we had these CDs of music and the lyrics didn't glorify God. And they said, break them. And I'm like, but yeah, but if I break it, I can't put it back together again. You know, and it's like, it's not as easy. I can't just go on my phone and go to Amazon and hit buy and it's here tomorrow. Like I got to go to the store and they may not have it because it's the newest thing, so on and so forth. 
and, and they challenge us to break them. It's like this, laying in bed at night when I'm tired, my wife brings a big bag of M&Ms, peanut M&Ms, that's my jam, you know, and they're sitting right there. And after about like five handfuls, I finally have to just zip it shut and I throw it. Because now I'm, not, I'm too dang lazy to get up and go get it. So now I'll stop eating it. And this is the imagery that we're given. Throw it off. Cast it away. Identify the things in your life that do not glorify God. Begin identifying the things that do glorify God. Don't just focus on getting rid of stuff. Focus on replacing it. Focus our attention to where God wants us to be focused. I, listen, I, I know people, I know guys who will use flip phones. Because they're very tempted by pornography. So they're like, hey, I'm not going to use a smartphone because it's too easy. So they use flip phones so they can't do it. I remember one story of a gentleman who traveled for his job. He would stay at hotels based on whether or not the hotel will remove the TV out of the room for him. He'd call ahead and say, hey, will you remove the TV out of the room for me? They'd say, yes. He'd say, great. Uh, tell me what room you want to give me. Remove the TV. When I show up, there's just too much of a temptation. We've got to establish habits, especially where we know we're weak and we struggle, that will set us up to glorify God in everything that we do. And when we're focused on that, we're focused on the things and the purpose for which we can live, which God designed us for. And look at this last thing, look for a better future. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, look to the future. Look at what God is doing. Look at what Jesus has prepared. Look to the resurrection, not just the, the resurrection of Jesus, which is an historical event, but the promise that you will be resurrected to life and experience eternity with God in heaven. Chapter 11 gives us example of people after people, but right here, the best example is reserved for the last. Focus your heart in on Jesus because this gives us encouragement to look past our circumstances and our struggles when we're in the midst of them. Uh, this gives us encouragement of the grace we have in our salvation. This gives us a reminder and picture of the kind of person we are still aspiring to be. The person that we're desiring to be more like, to become like Christ. Listen, this is one of the primary reasons we gather together each and every week. I'm so excited. Listen, in a few weeks, three weeks from now, we start a series called Psalms, and we're going to be worshiping rad radically different than we normally do. There's going to be multiple prayer times included. We're going to have a call to worship scripture. We're going to have a call to exit scripture. We're going to have far less singing than we normally do. We're going to gather together and worship in a really unique way for five weeks in the second week of this Psalm 122. I can't wait for this message because the message is all about the fact that when God's people gather together, they do it because they want to. They want to be here. They want to sing. They want to focus their eyes on Jesus. They want to live in the presence of God for eternity. They're longing for it, looking for it. And when we read stories of people all throughout uh, the nations of the world who have to travel distances and hours under the threat of persecution just to get to a place where we can gather together and worship, we think about some of the things that we got to get through, and it's nothing. We should be breaking down the doors at least once a week to gather together to be inspired and encouraged to know who God is and to fix our eyes on Jesus because this is what gives us the power, confidence, encouragement to withstand the difficult circumstances that sometimes we don't choose but give us the vision to choose to run with faith and to finish well. 
Now listen, Apollo 13, I think is a good example of this. You know, their mission had to be scrapped. Their mission was to get to the moon. They realized when they had so many different instrument failures and struggles, now my mission is not to get to the moon. The mission for the three men was to get home alive. Man, when your mission is life and death, it gets serious. We stop thinking about dreams and aspirations of, you know, glory and my picture in the paper or whatever, and we just start dreaming of, of the presence of family and people and the next day and the opportunities, and we start really making some deals with God. We start really thinking about the presence of God. We start thinking about the fact of how temporary our life is and how the presence of God in eternity is nonstop. And it motivates us towards worship not just on a Sunday morning, every day. But listen to what they did, right? Their instrument failures were a problem. They had no way of gauging and tracking how they were moving on their trajectory. And so what did they do? They said, well, listen, if we just put the earth in this window, and they had to complete a 39-second burn in order to get the momentum that they needed, but they had to do it in the right direction, and that's how they did it. They had their eyes fixed on a point. And here the author is saying, hey, listen, whenever life gets to where you think you can't manage it anymore and you can't be faithful and you can't finish well, look at Jesus. He knew every, every, every ounce of pain he would experience. He knew the struggle of separation, which is, in my opinion, what actually killed him from the Father. He had never been separated spiritually from the Father ever for all eternity. He knew how all of it was going to go. And he said, sign me up. Because everybody at Canoe Creek in this section, that section, that section, and that section, and online is worth it. And when we look at that, in spite of what we're struggling through, and I'm not discounting the intense suffering, struggle, and pain that some of us go through. When we look at running races that we did not choose to run, that is what gives us the strength to run with faith and to run well. Which leads me to this last thought. When experiencing struggles, you didn't choose. Remember, you can choose to remain faithful and finish well. The reality is, in this life, there's some things we can't choose, but there are things that we can. Choosing faith and choosing to finish well is one of them. So here's your homework. Go look at one of the names in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're not sure where their story is in the Old Testament, just Google it. It'll bring it up for you. Read about their story. Read about where they failed. Read about where they succeeded. Read about where they ended, ended and finished well according to the fact that they found themselves in this chapter of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Consider that. Secondly, identify the habits in your life that do not please God. Make a list. Don't just think about them. Write them out. Something happens when we put something to pen and our brain focuses on it differently. Share them with somebody in your life who's ironclad, who will be committed to praying for you because they're confident in your ability to trust them and begin replacing those with different faithful things that please God. And the third thing is this, look to what Jesus endured. Do you know what crucifixion actually looks like? Do you know how people die from crucifixion? Do you know what a body actually has to go through? 
Do you know when in the Gospels it says that Jesus was sweating blood essentially in the Garden of Gethsemane? This is a real literal issue, physical issue that's difficult and painful from stress. Explore those things. Read about those things. Take the Gospels, open them up in front of you. They all have titles, which is helpful nowadays. Just gloss over the Gospels this week and identify red letter sections where Jesus is speaking promises to you. He's speaking warnings to you. He's speaking encouragement to you. Meditate on all of that this week. This is your homework. And through it, in encouraging you to trust and to follow Jesus evermore, to be faithful and to finish well. Even if you find yourself running a race, you never expected to run. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. And as we explore what many people many years ago who were faithful to you had to endure, we recognize that as many of us in this room are enduring things that we did not expect, uh, we have been given the opportunity. We are worthy of finishing well because of the sacrifice that your son Jesus has made for us. Help us to know you better. Help us to trust you more. Help us to be faithful in following you. Father, right now, maybe many of us have good intentions within our heart. Uh, I pray that you'd bring those good intentions to light. That throughout the course of this week, Monday through Saturday, we would really engage personally each and every day a little bit of time and exploring some of these things that we've mentioned this morning and being encouraged uh, to remain faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.